Welcome to the How We Treat Colon and Rectal Cancer podcast, presented by the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber in Boston. Join us as we review some of the more complicated colon and rectal cancer cases and discuss the treatment decisions with leading medical experts in the colorectal cancer field. So good afternoon, Jeff. We have another exciting podcast uh, today. With this episode, we're going to be talking about clinical trials for rectal cancer, but really more of the medical oncology clinical trials and the adjuvant trials. We'll have another episode next uh, talking about some of the surgical trials. But I had the pleasure of talking to Deb Schrag, who is the principal investigator on the PROSPECT trial. So I want you to tell us a little bit about the PROSPECT trial. So there's a few questions in rectal cancer. The first is which chemotherapies to use. Second is where radiation is appropriate and are there patients radiation could be not used and they still have equal outcomes. And then whether there's additional therapies to add to standard treatments. And finally about adjuvant therapy. So the prospect's trying to ask the radiation question. What's clear is that higher rectal cancers relatively have a lower risk of local recurrence. And with the advent of more aggressive combination chemotherapies, there's more effective shrinkage in the rectum as well as elsewhere for metastatic disease. And so the prospect started as a small effort at Memorial Sloan Kettering, where they had a small cohort of patients where they gave full fox, did not give them radiation, brought them to surgery. They all had an R0 resection. And still to this day, the local recurrence, I think, is still at 0% of a very small cohort. That initial effort led to a NCI-sponsored trial, which is now being enrolled at centers throughout the United States using all the NCI cooperative groups that are part of the National Cancer Treatment Network. question is basically randomizing patients to full FOX versus standard chemoradiation. They're patients who don't have distal rectal cancer, so if it's really the last several centimeters, those patients are not included, and we can talk about trials that will include those patients. But randomizing to full FOX or standard chemo-RT and then relooking before surgery. So if there's patients that have absolutely no response, then they get chemoradiation before they have surgery. So making sure that radiation is incorporated in the appropriate patient, or what we think is the appropriate patients, who have no response to full FOX. Though, at least in my experience, the vast majority are having response and going forward with surgery. And then you mentioned a trial for those distal rectal cancers and has the acronym TNT. First of all, who thinks up these acronyms? <laughs> but <laughs> so, second of all, why don't you tell us about uh, TNT and when that is expected to be approved? So TNT stands for uh, Total Neoadjuvant Therapy. The concept of TNT is being incorporated in different ways. There are some centers that are doing eight cycles of Folfox followed by chemoradiotherapy and then having patients go undergo surgery. The TNT trial that's through the National Cancer Treatment Network is specifically looking at giving neoadjuvant therapy and trying to add an additional biologic. So it's a, what's called a bucket trial where there'll be continued arms being added to. So right now the only arm is actually using uh, a capecitabine and radiation with Volfox, but there is a, a proposal to add an immunotherapy arm, so adding one of the checkpoint inhibitors. There's also been a proposal to add a PARP inhibitor uh, to the trial, 
And what will happen is as additional arms open, they'll be, patients will be randomized. It's not a bucket trial where they're being molecularly selected yet. Yeah. Though that may, there may be some uh, uh, arms that will have a molecular selection to them. But right now, it's patients that are going to be randomized to those different arms. They're only including the patients essentially not eligible for prostate. So the very distal rectal cancers, the yeah. T4 lesions, so ones that are not prospect eligible, where the thought is those patients will more likely will benefit from radiation, but also trying a strategy to enhance the chemotherapy effort. And then there's a trial that you've been uh, very much a part of that's going to be coming out. It's really not a new trial in terms of uh, accrual, but it's a trial in terms of data of you looking at adjuvant therapy for colon cancer, whether three months is as good as six months because of the potential problems or eliminate the potential problems of Fox and treatment yeah. 7 through 12 would be exactly. compared yeah. to 1 so, through 6. you know, that's been really an incredible effort to be part of. It is for colon cancer. How we'll extrapolate it for rectal cancer, we'll figure out. Yeah. Uh, in fact, most of the data for adjuvant therapy for colon cancer is extrapolated, or for rectal cancer, is extrapolated from colon cancer. But this is an international effort where there's six trials really, that were conducted throughout the world, so in Italy, in the UK, in France, in Greece, in Japan, and then in the United States. There was agreement multiple years ago now to pool the efforts, and all the trials looked at three versus six months of adjuvant therapy. Some trials also had some additional question. In fact, our trial in the United States was a two-by-two randomization of three versus six months of Folfox plus or minus celecoxib. The celecoxib question, we're still probably at least a year or two away from having an answer. But we're pretty close to the three versus six month, and in fact, it's going to be a late-breaking abstract at ASCO this year, looking at pooling the data from 12,000 patients to look at non-inferiority of three months versus six months. We don't know the results yet, but we are excited to learn about them at ASCO. Well, that's great. Well, on to Deb, and she'll tell us about the prospect trial, how it got thought up, how it was piloted, and then how she got it uh, through the NCI. And then she doesn't have results yet, but then she'll tell us a little bit about accrual and some of the questions it may answer. I'm Deb Schrag, and I'm a medical oncologist in the Gastrointestinal Cancer Center here and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. The PROSPECT trial got started back after oxaliplatin got approved by the FDA back in 2002. And at that time, we were confronted, unfortunately, with a large number of patients coming in with stage 4 colorectal cancer, particularly stage 4 rectal cancer. And everyone knows these patients are miserable. These are the patients who are standing up in the waiting room, can't sit down, truly miserable. We got started with multidisciplinary care at that time. I was practicing at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And we would all scratch our heads about who was going first. Is the surgeon going first to do a palliative diverting ostomy to make administration of chemotherapy and radiation feasible? Is the radiation oncologist going first to uh, provide some immediate relief and palliation and potentially downstaging and potentially make a less morbid operation feasible? Or is chemotherapy going first? And this is particularly acute in a setting where the patient has a few liver metastases or lung metastases. So this was a non-curable setting. 
And after scratching our heads quite a bit, we realized that with the approval of oxaliplatin, we could get really high response rates from early administration of systemic chemotherapy alone. And we could avoid our practice, which had been to do an upfront diverting ostomy. And we just needed to do that operation less. Of course, endorectal stents were also coming into being right around the same time. So lots of innovation happening at the same time. But we saw really high response rates to systemic full Fox therapy in the setting of metastatic stage 4 rectal cancer. And was this after... One administration, two? Uh, you know, patients would describe the caliber of their stool yeah. and in, in great detail, and we would hear that it was better after just one cycle. Or patients with pain, particularly pain radiating down the back of the leg, you know, metastatic settings, yeah. who were responding after just a cycle or two. Mm-hmm. So after a couple of years of seeing that this, exper- this experience was not anecdote, but actually a real phenomenon, we also noted that absent radiation of the pelvis, patients with metastatic disease could tolerate chemotherapy for a longer period of time. Because when you radiate the pelvis, you get all that marrow, you know, you, you, gets you, in the you way. hit the bone Ex- marrow, exactly, yeah. and those patients develop much more dose-limiting neutropenia. So it's harder to get the systemic chemotherapy in. Mm -hmm. So we said, gee, if this is the case, would this make sense in the neoadjuvant setting? So we designed a pilot trial, and the pilot trial was to see whether we could possibly use systemic chemotherapy as a substitute and use radiation selectively in those patients who fail to get a good response to neoadjuvant radiation. But there was a second strand, and whenever you're working at a big referral center like the one where we work now, you see a lot of the difficult cases. And we saw difficult cases that fell into a few groups. Prostate cancer screening was all the rage. And so we had more and more guys who'd gotten brachytherapy or radiation for their prostate cancer, not to mention the radiated for uterine cancer, and the very young patients who wanted to spare their fertility. So we had a whole bunch of patients who had early stage curable disease and didn't want pelvic radiation. Right. And right. we had them sign all the relevant disclaimers. This is not standard of care and we treated them with systemic chemotherapy. If you've had radiation for prostate cancer, radiotherapists couldn't give more pelvic radiation. So I mean there was no choice. Right. And those patients did extremely well. So we said, "Okay, can we study this in a systematic fashion?" So we designed a pilot trial. Mm -hmm. We had a hard time getting the pilot trial funded because all we wanted to do and the design of the study was to give some cycles of induction full FOX, restage folks, and say, if you're responding straight to the operating room without the radiation, if you're not responding, then go ahead and get the chemo radiation. So still a neoadjuvant paradigm. So the regimen that we developed was full FOX with bevacizumab, Six cycles of induction, followed by restaging straight to the OR for responders, onto chemoradiation, and then the OR for non-responders. And we were looking for um, PATH-CR, local recurrence rates, and three-year disease-free survival. 
And in that very small single arm trial, we had very good initial results. We had response rates that were high, above 75%. Mm -hmm. We had no local recurrences. So we showed in that trial that we could selectively emit radiation and that in chemo responders right. and spare some people pelvic radiation. Biases, lots of exclusion criteria, so we weren't trying folks with T4 tumors. Right. We weren't trying to treat patients with APRs or big bulky tumors. We were trying to treat folks who were candidates for low anterior resection. resection. Right. Right. And we had good early pilot results. We then took this concept forward nationally to the cooperative groups and we really focused on something that would scale, that would be practical, recognizing that treatment of rectal cancer is a team sport, <laughs> that it requires surgeons, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, and people who understand imagers. Right. We tried to build a lot of flexibility into the trial, so at that time it wasn't clear whether laparoscopic surgery or open surgery was preferable for rectal cancer. We said you can do whichever one. Either one is permitted, you just have to declare and record. No flexibility with respect to short course or long course radiation. Right. So the radiation modality that we're testing is the traditional long course radiation, but that's what's been standard in the United States for the last 30 years, so right. that right. seems reasonable. Another thing that where we allowed flexibility is for staging, patients can have either an endorectal ultrasound or an MRI when we started the trial. So when we designed the study, we designed it as a phase two into three trial. There was a lot of concern that by not giving people radiation, we would compromise outcomes. And the scary thing for many people is we're taking a curable cancer and that we might be making it worse, not better. Right. By right. taking away a modality that we've used for 30 years and that works. Right. And so we designed it with a very stringent stopping rule. And that stopping rule said, look, we know that with good imaging and good selection, most rectal cancer low anterior resection should achieve an R0 resection. So if we fail to do that, if we have R0 failures, this trial needs to close. The first 96 patients, if we had one, two, three, four, five, or six R0 failures, we could keep going. But if we hit a seventh, we were done. Yeah. So we were nervous, we weren't, we passed that mark. Once we had about 400 patients on, the trial transitioned. I mean, it was a seamless transition to its phase three component. Mm -hmm. And the phase three component is a combined composite endpoint that looks both at disease-free survival and local recurrence. The reason for that is, you know, traditionally you'd say just look at disease-free survival, but we all know that the reason for radiation in rectal cancer is to eliminate the possibility of local occurrence, which is especially dread outcome right. to be avoided. And so that's why it's a composite endpoint that really gives special weight to those local recurrences. Right. I wish I could tell you the result. And to summarize, the arm one is the uh, control arm is chemoradiation therapy, uh, long course chemoradiation therapy, like like we do with either capsidivine or five of few continuous Exactly. And the treatment arm, the the experimental arm, is upfront six cycles of Folfox, an evaluation, and if it has grown, essentially, then you go to chemoradiation. If it's had a response, then you go on to surgery. Correct. And it's actually not just if it's grown. 
In order to proceed directly to the operating room, we decided that there needed to be at least 20% decrease in the dimensions of the tumor. Mm -hmm. And that has to be assessed two ways. By repeat imaging, so baseline MRI, repeat MRI, baseline endorectal ultrasound, repeat endorectal ultrasound, so a repeat of the baseline clinical staging modality. Right. Plus a repeat endoscopy by the same physician. In most cases, our baseline endoscopy is performed by the colorectal surgeon. And if that surgeon repeats the endoscopy and says, this tumor is 5% smaller or the same, that's not good enough. That patient is not responding briskly to chemotherapy. That patient gets chemoradiation. Mm -hmm. The decision, so now you can imagine we have this. What if the MRI says it's 17% smaller and the surgeon says it's 21? These are estimates, clearly. It's clinical staging, clinical restaging. But those decisions are adjudicated by the surgeon. Because the surgeon is the one that needs to take the patient to the operating room and achieve an R0 resection or not. And if the surgeon feels that the patient did not achieve a 20% clinical response to induction Fulfox, the patient gets chemoradiation. And, and one of the trial outcomes will be, yeah. of the patients assigned to chemotherapy, what proportion have gone on to have preoperative chemoradiation. It's the selective use of radiation. Right. The standard arm, everyone's getting radiated. And the intervention arm, we're radiating people, but we're radiating people who've demonstrated that they need it. Yeah. And where are we in the trial? We 80% accrual, uh, 70, As of 90. today, we have recruited 737 patients in the United States, Canada, with a sprinkling from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. We need to get to 1140 Anyone listening to this podcast, please send an email, call, think about opening. It's not too late. We'll be open for another two years, but we can't wait to be done. Right. And then we'll start pretty much within about four months of accruing our last patient. We'll have those PATH-CR initial clinical outcomes. A lot of early data will be available. We've collected a lot of other data that I think will be interesting and valuable to the rectal cancer treating community. For example, all the patients in the trial are completing quality of life measures, symptom, validated symptom scores. The patients are doing it on their iPhones because we want to know how bad is the neuropathy in the oxaliplatin arm and how bad is the diarrhea in the radiation arm. Correct. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day the results are pretty similar. And it may be that if you're a surgeon or a concert violinist, you want the radiation. You want five and a half weeks and done. Right, right. Right. But that if you're a violinist or a surgeon, the potential neuropathy is going to impair your ability to perform your career and that nothing is worth risking neuropathy and that, you know, you're going to prefer the radiation. So... Again, it may be that we provide show data. We, we may show equivalence, which may give patients more choices, which is a good the, thing. The right. secondary outcomes may be critical. What sure. we're most yeah. excited about, I think, is that because it's rectal cancer and we can get tissue, we've been, I would say, badgering. Those of you listening who've been badgered, we apologize, but it's for a good scientific cause, we think, which is to get the baseline tissue pretreatment from the colonoscopic biopsies. Yep. 
as well as the surgical specimen. And so what that's going to let us do is look at the patients assigned to chemotherapy, look at the patients assigned to radiation, and try to figure out whether there are signatures of responsiveness. So if there's a radio-responsive signature and a chemo-responsive signature, and they're distinct, then we might come to a point where we can say, you know, we can treat rectal cancer either way, but for you right. and your genomic profile, your tumor's radiosensitive, so that's the way to go. Yours is chemosensitive, so that's the way to go. And, of course, it's also possible that these things overlap. But if that's the case, then some tumors are going to have a responsiveness profile, no matter what. <laughs> and those are patients who we might want to consider for attenuation of treatment intensity and give mm -hmm. them less since they're so responsive. And there may be some patients who have resistant sig molecular signatures. And for those patients, we want to think about how to put them in investigational protocols that try different approaches since they're relatively resistant to both our standard modalities. So I think some of the most interesting information that we're going to learn from this trial is going to come from correlating the modality-specific response to the molecular biology of these tumors, and, and we've engaged some of the best, you know, Minds uh, in the best uh, minds looking uh, at the immunoprofiles exactly. and genomic profiles, and that's going to take time yeah. and a lot of work, but I think it'll be interesting. But I, I don't know what the trial shows. I wish I could tell you. We just want to get it finished, and yeah. we need everyone's help to yeah. do it. Yeah, well, it's been, it's been a great um, option to offer patients and discuss with patients um, here at the Dana-Farber, and I'm sure at the institutions that have opened it, and it's, uh, it's going to provide us, as you said, with great choices and options and data going forward. So, well, I really appreciate you taking the time on this uh, beautiful, well, this winter day to show us uh, a little bit about the prospect trial. And again, it's a great story about how right with Xali Platinum and then adding it to the mix that you began to see in those metastatic patients and other special patients a good response. So Yeah, so I, I just want to say, you know, these patients come to us and they have bleeding and symptoms and they feel bad, and you really feel like you're accomplishing something when you treat even locally advanced rectal cancer. But the other thing is it it's really a great example of medicine as a team sport because, yeah. you know, to treat rectal cancer means that you're working surgeons, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, pathologists, Right. And radiologists are all working together, and there's almost always an interventional radiologist involved as well. And it's really satisfying when all these different people come together to get a good outcome. So, Jeff, that was a great overview by Deb, and, and she went through the trial, how it got thought up, and also some of the questions, the molecular questions and the individualization questions that Prospect may answer. Next time, our next episode, we'll look at some of the surgical trials, the laparoscopic versus open trial with Jim Fleshman. He'll uh, speak to us, and we'll talk about maybe other surgical trials that are being thought up and brainstormed at this time. Yeah, and there's a lot of exciting efforts in rectal cancer right now because there are a lot of questions. And the prospect is really an exciting trial that we're all awaiting. I really encourage our listeners and others to consider the trial. It still has several hundred uh, patients to roll. There was always an argument that this will never enroll. It is enrolling very successfully, uh, over 700 patients already, but we have a few more hundred to go, so that would be a consideration for patients with rectal cancer. And we have a couple questions. We'll answer that 
uh, answer those questions in the next episode, and we encourage listeners to send in their questions. You go to the uh, blog that's associated with the podcast, send in your question, and Jeff and I will do our best to answer them. Thanks very much. 